Adam gets another one on the scoreboard. Uh, another fun fact about me related to the worship set, if you noticed me shake my head during the first song, I really like songs where we clap, but I am, I am so musically uninclined that I cannot clap and sing at the same time. Like 100% of the brain either has to go to the words or to clapping on beat. So I was like, no, this morning I was feeling cocky. I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to clap and sing. And after about three claps, I noticed you guys were all here and I was there. And so I had to stop clapping so that I could sing. Um, but that was, a, that was a wonderful worship set. Thank you, team. Uh, this morning, we are continuing Exodus, now that I'm finally not sobbing, um, and we're going to be picking up where we left off last week. If you missed last week, where we are this week really directly builds on that. Not only does the story obviously build on it, because this is a narrative book, but even the themes and the lessons build on what we looked at last week. And so if you missed last week's sermon, uh, anytime you miss a sermon, remember it's always on our website, always on our YouTube channel, always on our podcast, so that you can stay up to date for whenever you are with us. But we will be in Exodus 2, starting in verse 16 and reading through to verse 12 in chapter 3. It's a little bit of a longer section, but that's okay. We're going we're gonna to read it all as one, and then we're going to go bit by bit through it and, and understand it together. So if you would, please, if you're physically able to stand out of respect for the word of the Lord, and this is starting in uh, chapter 2, verse 16, after Moses has fled to the land of Midian. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said to him, How is it you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to his son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then God said, Then he said, Do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Let's pray. 
Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the sword that it is. Thank you that you refine us, that you teach us patiently. And so this morning, Lord, please speak to us. May these be your words, certainly not mine. May we listen with hearts softened by you, ears opened by you. May we retain with minds taught by you. May we conform with spirits joyful to be molded by you. We praise you. We continue to worship you through scripture and through meditation on it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. All right. So you've got a, a lot of narrative advancing the story. Moses and Midian, they try to draw water from the well. He gets connected with the family, da 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 and not da-da-da, that it's not important, but it's pretty straightforward. There's, there's no secret analogy to water that they needed for their flocks. Their flocks needed water. Shepherds tried to prevent it from them. Moses stepped in. Hey, that earned them favor with the family. There's, there's not a lot to unpack there. Uh, and the first thing that I, I see that really stood out to me, that really just that paused my heart, where I was like, wow, Lord, thank you for this, this detail that you've included in this part of Scripture. In chapter 2, verse 25, and it just simply says, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. It doesn't get any more basic than that, but it also doesn't get any more beautiful than that. If you recall, one of the names of God that we looked at at the end of last year was El Roi, and it means God who sees. We're not going to unpack that whole sermon again. If you need a reminder of El Roi, if you need a reminder that God sees you, that God knows, if you need a reminder of how that should humble us, how that should encourage us, how that should strengthen us, how that should challenge us, all the different ways that knowing God is El Roi should cause us to worship him, the sermon was on October 15th. If you need help finding it, let me know. You can listen to it. It'll be great. But I want to just quickly draw attention to two of the verses. I do want to quickly revisit two of the verses as we consider this. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. I think one of the greatest fears in our lives is to be unseen, to be unknown. I mean, what would be worse? Nobody loves you because nobody takes the time to see you? Or people see you and they don't take the time to get to know you because they don't care about you that much. The fear of being unseen and unknown can be crippling. But in El Roi, we see a God who sees and knows. Job 34, 21, for his eyes are on the ways of a man and he sees all his steps. Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. So even in verse 25, we just simply see the people crying out to the Lord, feeling this pain, feeling this suffering. And what does God remind us of himself? He says, the Lord sees and the Lord knows. There's so much comfort in that. And I'm grateful that that is present in all of these biblical stories as God tells the narrative of his love for his people. But then as we continue through Exodus chapter 2, moving into chapter 3, I want to reread the first four verses of chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. Listen, I'm going to add a little bit. Listen to this verse, verse 4. I'm going to add emphasis to this verse. 
When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Think about that verse. God calls, and Moses has a choice to make. Moses has a response to give. And so when we look at Scripture, when we look at God's people, we see that this is not unique to Moses. This is not unique, the idea of God calling to Moses and then God's people having a decision to make of how they will respond. Consider Genesis 3, 8 to 10, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I heard you, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Jonah 1, 1 to 3, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down to it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Are we going to hide? What's calling? What's, what's the call? Well, you get called to be a pastor, right? We were, I've been pretty transparent with you guys about our interview process for associates, and I, one of the guys said, oh, I'm definitely called into ministry, 100% called to be a pastor. I said, cool, why? Talk to me about your calling. Tell me why you're called to be a pastor. He said, well, because I just, I love God so much, and I'm, I'm called to tell people about him. And I said, correct, as is every single Christian. Why are you different? I mean, really, what? What, you think I'm the only one called to tell people about Jesus? Do you guys remember the series we just did on 2 Corinthians? What did we spend three sermons on in that series? Looking at ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation, ministers of the new covenant. We are all called. We are all called to proclaim the gospel. We are all called to live like Christ. We are all called to be holy. I think we've conflated falsely so calling with this sense of, okay, am I paid to do this? You either get called to be a missionary or you get called to be a pastor in a local church. Those are the two callings. I mean, really, do we use the language of like, oh, well, I just, I felt called to be a plumber. I felt called to be an office administrator. No, we, we reserve, wrongly so, calling for, oh, well, the only people who actually get called are the ones who get paid to do ministry. No, we are all called to be ambassadors of the gospel. We are all called to live for Christ, to live like Christ. We are all called to be sanctified, to be remade in his image, to put to death what is not of him, to crucify the old self, to consider it dead and buried, to be raised in newness of life. Like, that is the calling on all of our lives. So wherever God has placed you occupationally, your call, your vocation is the same. Our occupation may be different. Occupationally, we do different things. Vocationally, vocation, coming from the Latin word voca, which means to what? Where do we also get the word vocal, vocalized, vocalizing? To call. So vocationally, you and I all have the exact same call. So the question is, are we hiding from it? Are we running from it? Are we fleeing from it? Are we turning from it? Or 
like we see in Scripture, are we simply saying, here I am, Lord. Here I am, use me. Do with me what you would. Genesis 46, 2-4, that was how Moses replied. It says, God called to Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Genesis 46, 2-4, and God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. 2 Samuel 15, 25 to 26, last week we looked at David's sin. We looked at some of David's problems, but we talked about how we don't think of David that way. That's not where we stop with David. What do we remember him as? As a man after God's own heart. What God himself describes David has, and I believe we see a key reason for that in this passage in 2 Samuel 15, 25 to 26. Then the king, David, then the king said to Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. David's heart submitted to the Lord fully. He said, here I am. God is sovereign. Let him do what seems good. Isaiah 6, 8 to 9. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am. Send me. And he said, go and say to this people, consider Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. You jump down to verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house. Consider Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Church, how are you actively responding to the call on your life? How are you actively responding to the Holy Spirit when he calls you to go talk to that stranger? I've not always done great with this. You're the pastor. Yeah. And I've used my daughter as an excuse. A couple weeks ago, we were running errands. We were in the recycling center dropping stuff off. And I'm ashamed to say it was, hey, ask that guy how he needs prayer. And my response was, no, my two-year-old's fussy and throwing a fit. We got to get home for snack and nap time. And I hid from the call. That wasn't the only time I've ever done that. It wasn't. And it's painful when you realize, man, I'm hiding. I'm just like Jonah. I'm just like Adam and Eve. I'm hearing the call and I'm doing nothing about it. There have been times, praise God, by his grace and mercy, where he has superseded my cowardice and given me the supernatural strength to listen to the call. I've shared with you guys some of those stories. And they're fun. They're the ones we need to hear to remind us that, yeah, God does work in incredible ways. At my old job, I'd walk up to Barnes & Noble and I'd read on my lunch break. I'd read comics, I'd read 
biographies, all like whatever. I would just read on my lunch break. And one day a guy comes, sits down in the next chair to me, clearly a salesman. He's dressed up. He's got his rep badge hanging around his neck, pulls out his laptop, starts working. And it was, hey, ask him how he needs prayer. This was the very first time it ever happened. Very first time this ever happened. Ask him how he needs prayer. And my response was, embarrassingly enough, no, Lord, that's weird. I'm going to go back to reading. And I, I promise you the words on the page were, ask him how he needs prayer, ask him how he needs prayer, ask him how he needs prayer. It's like, and I said to him, I said, uh, excuse me. And he looked up. I was like, hey, this is weird. Do you need prayer? And he goes, no, that is weird. And he scooted his chair further away from me. And me, being smug, was like, see, can I go back to reading now? And three seconds go by, and this man lets out the heaviest sigh I have ever heard a human make. And I look up. And he's like, I don't know if I believe in prayer. I don't know if I believe in a God. But if you do, then yeah, I need prayer. Nothing in my life is good. My wife and I ask servers at restaurants, hey, how can we pray for you? We've had servers break down crying and sit with us. Guys, the call doesn't have to be sell everything, move across the world. Maybe for some of you it will be. That'd be awesome. Maybe for some of you, the call would be even scarier than sell everything and move across the world. Maybe the call would be, hey, go across the break room and talk to that coworker you don't like. Maybe the call on your life that you're hiding from is, hey, start treating your boss with respect even though nobody else on the floor does. Maybe the call on your life is, hey, befriend that neighbor who does everything possible to make him the worst neighbor in the neighborhood. You need to go be that person's friend. Maybe that's the call that we hide from. To go love, to be the hands and feet and heart of Christ. So the, the question is, when we look at Moses' example, when we look at Adam and Eve, when we look at Jonah, when we look at Jacob, when we look at, when we look at Ananias, what else do we know about Ananias? And this is a different Ananias from the one who's killed for withholding from God that happened earlier. What else do we know about this Ananias? The correct answer is nothing. Are you okay with being a one-time note in the narrative of the church? I mean, we don't know about the glory of Ananias' life. We don't know that he was, you know, some big lauded leader. This is the only time we see him. So what? Who cares if we appear once in the pages? How do we respond to God's call on our lives? Hopefully with holiness. And it can be intimidating, it can be daunting, it can be a big ask, especially if it's something new for us. But what do we see as we continue with this idea of God calling us to something? Worried that I don't have what it takes. Spoiler alert, you don't. Neither do I. But what do we see as we continue through Exodus? I love this. What's it say in Exodus 3, verse 5? Then he said, God, then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Sanctification, holiness, set apart for Christ, being conformed to the image, the character of Christ. It comes from the Lord and the Lord alone. 
What else does scripture say? Joshua 5, 13 to 15. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for your adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped him and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. 2 Chronicles 7, 1-3, As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people saw of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped them and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. God is the one who makes something somewhere holy, someone holy. So when we consider this idea of calling, the intimidation factor, the difficulty factor, maybe, just maybe, we need to ask ourselves, is it so difficult because we are trying to do the sanctifying ourselves? I want my workplace to be holy. Okay, well, are you on your face before the Lord pleading with him for him to make it holy? What makes this building meaningful? God. I have left my sweat. In some places, I have left my blood in various attic levels of this building. I know so many of you have left your sweat and blood and tears in various places of this building. Guess what? None of that makes it holy. God makes something holy. So if we are trying to follow his call, if we are trying to live out his call in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, in our families, in our relationships, and we are not relying on him for the sanctifying aspect of that, we are missing the point. So the prayer needs to be, Lord, make this holy. Why do you think we gather before the service? Why do we gather before the service to pray? Why did the elders start doing it, I don't know, two years ago, whenever it was? Not so that we could get together and be like, wow, look how impressive we are. We show up 15 minutes early. No, we gathered together to fall on our knees and say, Lord, if you don't make what's about to happen holy, then we're wasting our time. Lord, if you do not sanctify the works of our hands, if you do not sanctify our fingers on the guitar strings, if you do not sanctify our vocal cords, if you do not sanctify our offerings, if you do not sanctify our words, our prayers, if you do not make us holy, we cannot manufacture that on our own. This is part of the call, is recognizing our desperate dependence on the Lord for holiness and rejoicing and celebrating and having so, so much fun and the fact that this is what he does for his people. I mean, this is what he pours out. What does it say about the temple? When they finished dedicating the temple, just a little bit of glory showed up in the corner and the people were like, oh, that's it? No, it says God flooded the temple with his glory that they couldn't even stand. God is not withholding. This is awesome that we get to go before the Lord and say, you are the Holy One. Holy, holy, holy. Make us holy like you are. Make our time together holy like you are. I mean, really ask yourselves, do you doubt or do you believe that if you went before the Lord with sincerity of heart and you said, God, I want our house to be a holy house in this neighborhood. 
how do you think he'd answer? No, that's really not my plan. This is what God loves to do if his people will hear his call and say, here I am. Make me holy and use me for your glory. Yeah, but. Yeah, but this. Yeah, but that. Yeah, but this excuse. Yeah, but that excuse. Yeah, but this cynical focus. Yeah, but this pessimistic opinion. Yeah, but this fearful perspective. Yeah, but this worry. Yeah, but this concern. Moses starts to get into that, and next week we're going to look at it even more. And I'm not talking about being naive. I'm talking about being holy even in our perspective. We looked at it last week. We're going to continue to look at it. But what do we immediately see in the response? What does Moses say? Let's go back to Exodus 3, starting in verse 7. God has just said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So God lays out who he is. He presents his identity to Moses. Moses responds with reverence, responds with awe. God goes on. He continues in verse 7. He says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good in broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Wow, that's awesome. That's exciting. That's deliverance. Moses responds, sweet, count me in. No, Moses says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And this isn't proper humility. When we get into next week, we'll see that Moses goes on to list all his self-perceived excuses for why he can't possibly do this. And how does God respond to him in verse 12? Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. Guys, God's presence is greater than our fear. God's presence is greater than our inadequacies, our insufficiencies, our poor memories, our stuttering words. God's presence is greater. His sanctifying presence, his sanctifying power, his sanctifying work. God says, but I will be with you. Judges 6, 14 to 16, And the Lord turned to Gideon and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Genesis 26, 1 to 3, And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. Joshua 1, 9. If you recall back to our series we did on Joshua, I don't know, two years ago. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will go with you. 
This is what God says to Joshua before the momentous task that God has placed before him. Isaiah 41.10 Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I mean, listen to the pattern in Exodus, in Judges, in Joshua, in Isaiah. Fear, worry, obstacle. God says, no, 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 no. Don't, because I will be with you. So in this calling, he is calling us to go with him. Let's go all the way back to the Life of Jesus sermon series. This was in 2020 into the first quarter of 2021. Does anybody remember when we got to Matthew? Uh, what chapter? Whatever. Whatever chapter in Matthew where Peter walks on water. And we looked at one word. We unpacked one single word in a sermon. Peter says, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. And I asked the question, do we say come there? No, we say come here. Jesus says to Peter, come here. Because Jesus is there. God says, no, 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 no. Don't worry about that. Don't be afraid of that. Don't let your perspective be dictated by that. But I will be with you. So the calling that he has placed on your lives, the calling that he has placed on you to be a minister, to be an ambassador, to be someone who goes, who proclaims, who makes disciples, that calling that he has placed on your life is also a promise that he is with you in that calling. He is strengthening you for that calling. He is purposing you. He is placing you for that very reason. We just have to respond. We don't have to provide the power. We don't have to provide the omniscience. We don't have to provide the omnipotence. We don't have to provide the omnipresence. We don't have to provide any of the things that we cannot provide. Because Yahweh, Elohim, El Roi says, but I will be with you. That's what makes the calling so fun. Whoa, are you kidding me? God, the creator of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, he's calling me to join his victory parade? I mean, what does the New Testament says? The New Testament literally says, praise be to Christ Jesus who always leads us in triumphal procession. That's the calling. Ah, I'm too busy. I'm sorry, we're going to ask a what if. I know what just happened. And I know some people in the room are excited it happened, but for most of, most of us, what if the Browns won the Super Bowl? What if the Browns won the Super Bowl and you got a call? Hey, you want to come ride in the head of the victory parade? Like, you want to come be part of this? How many of you would be like, yeah, you know what? It's like an hour and 15 minutes away. That's just, I was going to stay home and watch TV. Jesus is like, hey, I call you to this. I call you to fight with me, to win with me. I call you to this. And we're like, I don't know. I'm not very good at riding in victory parades. But I will be with you. God promised it to Moses. 
God promised it to Israel. God promised it to Jacob. God promised it to Joshua. God promised it to the apostles. God promised it to the church of Acts. And God is promising it to his church today. If we will hear the call and respond. I love Exodus. It reminds me of who God is and who we're called to be in the equation. I mean, Moses, a story with ups and downs, twists and turns, winds up as a shepherd out in the middle of the wilderness. And that's where God calls him to this incredible work that the Lord is doing. And he calls Moses to be a part of it. So as we consider this, as we consider the sanctifying work that can only come from the Lord, as we consider the call on our lives that fits within whatever occupation we have, whatever relationships we have, whatever presence we have in this community, in the lives of our friends, as we consider all these things this week, let's read Genesis 22. Uh, incredible story of responding to the Lord's call. So let's read Genesis 22 together, everybody, one chapter. And then pray is led by the reading, continuing to apply adoration, continuing to apply confession, continuing to apply thanksgiving, continuing to apply supplication, but being led by Scripture. Let's read Genesis 22, continue to remember Exodus 4, 11 to 12, which we're going to study more in depth this coming week. But basically where Moses is like, I'm not good at public speaking. And God says, I made your mouth. I win. Memorize it. Internalize it. Let it be imprinted on your heart. So that every time you go to respond to the calling, every time you go to say yes, every time you go to say, here I am, Lord, use me in this situation. And then the enemy says, yeah, but you're not good at public speaking. Yeah, but you're not good at this. You can say, whoa, hey, God made my mouth. God made my memory. God made my hands. He's with me. And then the reflect is simple. This is a personal reflection. If you are unwilling to be honest with yourself, I'm going to tell you right now, you are not going to do the last part. So maybe, maybe for some of us, we need to start with, Lord, give me the willingness to be honest with myself. Give me the willingness, give me the conviction. If I'm afraid to be honest with myself, Lord, you be honest with me. But then if we're willing to be honest with ourselves, if we're willing to be vulnerable with others, talk about it around the dinner table, give me a call, give my wife a call, talk about it with somebody. But I just want each and every one of us to reflect on, am I willing to simply pray, Lord, here I am, use me and mean it. Anybody can say words. I'm the starting quarterback in the uh, Bills game today. No, I'm not. Anybody can say, Lord, here I am. Use me. What do you want me to do? Are you willing to mean it? Are you willing to follow through on it? Are you willing to respond to his calling, knowing that he is with you and really excited to see what he does? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness, your incredible goodness that allows us to be a part of the unbelievable, beautiful work you are doing. I think of when they were building the temple and the prayer was, Lord, who, who are we that you allow us to give to this? God, you don't need us. And you allow us to take part in your plan, in your work. That's awesome. 
So God, don't just fill us. Don't just fill this people. Don't just fill Community Bible Church with a willingness to pray, Lord, here I am, use me. Fill us with an excitement to pray that. Fill us with a zeal to pray that, Lord. Pour out a passion on the hearts of this people like never before. May we literally wake up and the first thought on our minds be, oh, another day. God, how do you want to use me today? Burden us for this. Sanctify us. Sanctify the way we drive. Sanctify the way we live as neighbors. Sanctify the way we engage as brothers, sisters, cousins, nephews, friends, employers, employees. Wherever we are, whether we're at home, whether we're on the road, whether we're traveling, whether we work remote, like wherever we are, Lord, sanctify us. May we burn with zeal for you. You are holy, holy, holy. May we sing with everything in us every moment of our days. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Hey everyone, Amen. Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.